Welcome to Clinical Pearls. I am Tracy White, and I am here with my co-host, BJ Hamankuli. Hey, BJ. Hey, Tracy. How you doing? Oh, I'm all right. I'm uh, all right. Do you remember, well, the listeners may not realize, you and I went to NP school together mm-hmm. way back in, we graduated in 2010. That's a long time ago. Can you remember back then who you did your last clinical rotation, the residency? Who was your preceptor? You know, I actually do remember that because I was gang ho on becoming a cardiology nurse practitioner. Which so, you did. Yeah. Which I did. Yeah. I spent an entire summer, well, that was spring, um, with uh, a cardiology nurse practitioner here in Birmingham. That was the best time I had. Yeah. yeah. So my preceptor was Eileen Meyer. Mm. And I remember learning so much from her. It was in CV surgery, Mm -hmm. um, a surgery background. So I was so excited to get to work with her. She was a little intimidating at first, but um, same. I had just the most wonderful rotation with her and she taught me so much. And she is actually our guest today. So she has been a nurse practitioner for 20 something years, but has really moved and transitioned into policy and legislation and is high ranking in in different organizations. So we're going to learn from her today about how we can be more involved in policy change that ultimately affects the care of our patients at at the bedside. So I'm excited to talk to her. I'm excited as well. You know, I work with Eileen closely uh, with uh, NPAA. So I'm I'm eager to uh, learn more from what she has to uh, share with us today. And I hope our audience uh, will also learn something. Tune in. Nursing is the nation's largest healthcare profession with nearly 5.2 million registered nurses nationwide. There are more than 355,000 nurse practitioners licensed in the United States. With this many members, nurses have the potential to profoundly influence policy on a global scale. Some might even say it is a moral and professional obligation for us to be engaged in legislation that impacts our patients. When nurses influence the politics that improve the delivery of healthcare, they are ultimately advocating for their patients. Unfortunately, nurses have historically had little involvement in policy that really affects healthcare delivery. On this episode of Clinical Pearls, we are joined by Dr. Eileen Meyer. She is a nurse practitioner and the assistant director to advanced practice providers at UAB Medicine, which employs over 900 advanced advanced practice providers. She is also a clinical assistant professor at the UAB School of Nursing and teaches the Health Policy and Politics course. She served as Vice President for Health Policy for the Nurse Practitioner Alliance of Alabama and now assumes the role of Senior Policy Advisor representing over 8,000 nurse practitioners in Alabama. That was a that was a yeah that was That's a, a mouthful. Lot. That's I mean, a lot. thank you. <laughs> it's really great to see you. Uh, thanks for being here. We're excited to talk to you today. Oh, well, I'm very excited to see you again, Tracy. We it's been maybe two years, yeah. and BJ, it's always good to be here. Oh, it's good to see you always, Helen. Well, you know what? I'm so excited for you to come to talk to us today, and you know, this is a conversation that we're going to have today. So, just tell us a little bit about your background as a nurse practitioner. Let's start there. Okay, so um, I graduated with my BSN in 94, moved to Alabama in 95, um, and started the acute care nurse practitioner program. Graduated in 97 and immediately worked with um, Dr. Al Pacifico in cardiac surgery line in 1997. 
And at that time, I feel like it was the best time in the world to be a nurse practitioner mm -hmm. because um, especially in acute care, because I, I'm pretty sure I was a second graduating class and we only had six in our class. And quite frankly, I'm not quite sure anybody knew what to do with us. Mm. So it was a great time <laughs> to practice. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I think I was the only acute care nurse practitioner in the hospital at that time as well. Um, so from 1997 to 2006, I worked with Dr. Pacifico. He was probably one of the best people in the world to first start working with um, because he had very clear expectations. Mm -hmm. In 2006, he retired, Dr. James Kirkland took over. And at that time, they decided to develop a lead position within um, acute and acquired congenital cardiac surgery. And I assumed that role in 2007. And this was when it seems like our service line really grew with advanced practice. You know, when I started in two, 1997, we had three nurse practitioners that were on a step down unit. By 2006, we had six on the step down. And then in the following years, we started developing the ICU nurse mm -hmm. practitioners in their role and the ambulatory to what it is now. So oh, wow. now in 2023, Cardiac surgery at UAB probably has 60 to 70 APPs. Wow. It's a totally APP-driven service line. Everybody, when you first walk into cardiac surgery, you're going to see a nurse practitioner and a surgeon. To when you go to surgery um, in your ICU, back to the step-down unit, and then back to the ambulatory space. It's all APP-driven. So it's, it's really nice to see how UAB has embraced advanced practice. Mm -hmm. and how they stood behind us and utilized us. And I've digressed. So in tw 2013 or 2014, about that time, I was placed on a committee to help um, start finding out where are all these nurse practitioners at UAB. We think there's maybe 300 of them, but nobody knew where they were. It's such a big entity, and they're hired in under different um, entities like the hospital, the School of Medicine, mm -hmm. HSF. So we sat down and started trying to figure out where everybody was. And out of these meetings came the fact that we just thought maybe UAB would best be served with a centralized office. So in 2015, I think it was, they developed the Office of Advanced Practice through um, much support of the physician and nursing staff. And I think that's what's made our office successful is the support we've had. And this will be the first office of advanced practice, I think, in our state and one of the first probably in the country. Um, I mean, some of the very large organizations had some, but I think there were very few, like probably under 10. Um, ended up as the assistant director to advanced practice. And I'm glad there were three of us because we all knew what we wanted, what we thought advanced practice needed. Like we knew we needed to make connections with the nursing schools and get these students in. We knew that we can develop a, um, or offer them great clinical precepting experiences. Um, we wanted them really, you know, we were getting credential and privilege, but we wanted to um, make it more in tuned to what the advanced practice needs are. So we've really developed the credentialing and privileging process, um, developed the, the advanced practice providers of executive council, mm -hmm. and then part of my job was also to um, look at what the nurse practitioners needed in order to do their job. And a lot of it was procedurals and regulatory issues. Mm -hmm. So um, it, 
2017, for some reason, I decided that nurse practitioners needed to be able to put in large bore central lines and chest tubes. <laughs> and do, and we do, we're a level one trauma center and our physicians really support our nurse practitioners in these procedures. So um, I began making the case to go before our regulatory boards to um, develop a protocol for the state because that's the way the state operates mm -hmm. and drug our trauma surgeons down to Montgomery. And it took about a year, but we ended up developing the advanced limit critical care advanced protocol that allows us to put in the chest tubes and large bore central lines. And to me, that was like a big win. That yeah. was just as exciting as legislation. Cause I'm mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, yeah, we're up where everybody else is in the nation now. So um, during that time, I somehow met, met Joy Dupree, Dr. Dupree. And um, she, I consider her one of my mentors with policy. Yes, and she's, she's wonderful. And she came up to me, she goes, hey, Eileen, um, why don't you run for office with NPA, Nurse Practitioner Alliance of Alabama? I was like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and she get, had this, I know, shocked expression on her face. But, you know, really, I've lived in this bubble and, and we've always sort of just did what we wanted to do. I'm not saying that in a bad way, but we ne I never really thought about it. I just thought, okay, let's move forward. Let's do this for UAB. Yeah. And um, Joy dragged me out of that bubble and made me aware of what's happening on a state level. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, only us, only nurse practitioners can change nurse practitioner law and only us can drive things forwards. So she's the one that got me um, started down the MPAA track. Okay. So, Back to Dr. Pacifico, what an amazing progressive thinker for that time, way back in 97, yes. to to think, okay, I can make nurse practitioners a vital part of this team and to take, you know, you on and not really know what to do. So I really, I really liked him. I've only met him a few times way back when, but um, yeah, what an amazing <clears throat> mentor and, and colleague at that time. So and actually, I think all of cardiac surgery was like that. They all really recognized nursing, put a lot of their trust in the nurses. Many of those nurses have been there for 20 years, yeah. so Dave McGiffin and Jim Kirkland. And so when I transitioned to Dr. Kirkland, it was no different. Okay. It's like, we expect you to take care of business and, you know. And trust that you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was it hard for you to then move from that, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, full-time clinical, you know, in it, you know, every day, like you said, to more of that outside your bubble, was that a difficult transition or did it just fall into place? So, um, I never really viewed it as difficult. Looking back, I don't think any of us knew what we were doing, <laughs> but so several things happened at the same time. First, I took that position, um, as a, as a assistant director. And I was 50% of my time was lead still, and 50% of the time was devoted to that office. And we did that for about two years. And that was, uh, looking back, that was impossible. Mm -hmm. You can't lead your service line and you can't develop an office. Mm -hmm. So eventually in 2017, I became strictly administrative for several years. But the other thing is, I started my DMP in 2014. And I was exposed to Joy Dupree at one point that was totally unrelated to my DMP, which exposed me to health policy. Yeah. And I remember going to that policy class, like, what, what's all this for? 
But then I look back on the assignments and I'm like, oh, these assignments really helped guide me in my thinking as to what I do today. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I never viewed it as difficult, but it is very, very, very confusing. And it's I think that's one reason why nurses are very passive, maybe not as engaged is because we're not taught how to become politically competent. We are taught to be clinicians. Mm -hmm. And what people what nurses need to understand is that this is what Jim McClendon told me, who's the previous, he's a, the chair of the Senate Health Committee and was a big advocate for MPs and PAs. He says, only you will look out for yourself. And I was like, what? But that's true. Only nurse practitioners will look out for nurse practitioners. And so we, coming out of school, we need to already start thinking about our practice and what does it look like and what can we do to change it? If you look at physicians, physicians come right out of med school and what do they do? They join their state professional association. Mm -hmm. Nurse practitioners, I didn't for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And to this day, we have 8,000 in Alabama and what, 10% have joined the NPAA. And Senator April Weaver, who's a nurse, made a profound statement to me that said, if every nurse in Alabama, which are 90,000 of them, joined their state professional association and was a united voice, there would be nobody bigger and nobody stronger. And that sort of like gives me chill lips. Mm -hmm. yeah. it yeah. But it's true, 90,000 nurses in Alabama, if we all joined together, we would, you know, rock this place, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, but guess what? There's probably less than a thousand in state nurses organization. Wow. We're all very fractured. CRNAs do a very good job of coming right out of school and joining their association, mm -hmm. but nursing in general is um, sort of you needs know, a little push. Yeah, I, I'm hoping maybe we kind of get to the root of that problem you know, with, it, with our discussion today. Can you tell us more about your role with NPA? Um, certainly. So VP of policy, um, I really didn't have... There was not somebody before me mm -hmm. that I could, that told me what to do. I think it was a newer role. Joy sort of mentored me because she's all thing in policy. Um, but the hardest, I tell you what, the hardest thing I ever did um, in my professional career as an MP was we had a dinner for um, the state legislators, the House Health and Senate Health Committee members and where we're trying to promote our signature authority bill. And I stayed the night and then everybody went home and the next day, the hardest thing I've ever done in my professional career was to go to the um, House and the Senate by myself and talk to those senators about the signature authority bill. Mm -hmm. Hardest thing I've ever done. Oh, I bet. I was so intimidated. Um, and it, it's sort of like giving a report to your physician in between patient rooms. You have like three seconds to grab them and then yeah. go into another room. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I've seen BJ in action and actually you're cool as a cucumber in Montgomery. He <laughs> is. You. And it do, does very, very well. And so does Tina McGinnis who used to be on mm -hmm. staff here. She's like a natural. Yeah. So just to get a circle back, just to make sure that we understand what NPA is for those uh, clinicians out there who are listening to those acronyms and don't have a clue what they are. Can you, you tell us? Join. Yeah. Tell us what NPA <laughs> is. This is also just a small plug. I guess. <laughs> so uh, NPAA is the Nurse Practitioner Alliance of Alabama. It's the state professional um, organization for nurse practitioners. And our main focus is, is advocacy, policy, and politics. We do have educational component. 
There is a lot of networking mm -hmm. that you get the chance to network. I've met people in South Alabama, Huntsville, and everybody in between. But it's really your state organization that pushes for change. Do you, um, in Alabama, there's also regional groups. Mm -hmm. And the regional groups will support the state group. But if you're a regional group member, doesn't necessarily mean you're a state um, group member. And so the state does all of the advocacy, if that makes sense. Right. So how, when you say, you know, was, it sounds like a very difficult thing and I would be nervous too, to go and speak, especially the first time by yourself. Uh, how are you received when you go to these big political meetings by people who may not be mm -hmm. in healthcare, um, but. Um, <laughs> So what I always strive to hope for is that when a leg legislator sees me, he doesn't turn around and run away. And go, oh. oh my gosh, you're dying. <laughs> oh no. That's, that's, my, that's what I strive to, <laughs> that they don't mind seeing me. So, so far I really haven't seen any of them run and hide. Um, they are difficult to catch because they're very, very busy. Right. But um, politics is all about relationship building and it's not one person that can reach the entire Senate or the entire um, House of Representatives. It is truly a group effort. I can't connect with people. I, you know, BJ's came down there and connected right away with somebody, um, just like you would probably find somebody. So it's a group effort. And I think that if you wanna see change in the state, mm -hmm. become involved and we will take you with us. We did that all this past legislative session. Every Wednesday, we took about 10 MPs to um, the state house just for meet and greet, very casual. And every single one of them did a great job and connected with their legislators. Legislators don't want to see Eileen all the time. They want to see their constituents. Yeah, that's They want to see the people that vote them in office. Uh, that's why it's so important to be part of whatever association is important to you. So just on that same token, uh, and you mentioned this before, why do you think it is that, you know, nurses do not get involved um, in their uh, uh, policy and policy making and stuff like that. Why do you think they're hesitant to do so? So I think it's multifactorial. Number one, it's really not taught. It's, you know, it's touched upon now and I think the master's and doctorate, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's at least an introduction to it, but I don't think nurses understand that it's not gonna be the board of nursing that's um, advocating, they advocate for us. I, they're the, I was a very strong advocate, but their role was to protect the public. So if you want to um, advance your practice forwards, it is you yourself. Nobody else is gonna do it for you. Um, so, did I answer the question? Good yes, you did. Okay. So part of it is education, right? Okay, so part of it's education. I think part of it is people, um, have a lack of understanding of the need for their involvement. They mm -hmm. do not realize that they can make a difference. And it's it's actually not that hard when you're working with a group of people to make a difference mm -hmm. because you can reach more people. Yeah. So lack of understanding of the political process too. So you have to sort of understand why you wanna to go to certain legislators, why you wanna get them on your side. And it's knowing the other people in the political arena, like um, who your other key stakeholders are that would support your bill, the realtors, the truckers, AARP, mm -hmm. the CRNAs, the PAs, can we get mass on our side? You, you, It's not just about nurse practitioners, it's everybody that you can draw in to support you as well. 
I think part of it might be that I would feel, oh, I'm just one person. I, what can I do for change? But then, like you said, it's not, you're not alone. So I think that's an important and aspect. When you, when people ask what they can do. So when I go to Montgomery and they ask me, how many people do you represent for your organization? I can't really say 8,000 because 8,000 people don't belong. So even if you're a dues paying member, I can count you in and say, I represent 801 nurse practitioners. So that right there makes a difference. Okay. The second thing that makes a difference, you know, there's different levels of engagement. That alone is enough for me to have, say, I can, I represent you. The other piece of it, um, oh my gosh, this is one out my head. <laughs> the other piece of it is when we do have a bill. Mm -hmm. Or we do have um, a bill that pops up from somebody else that we don't like to send out an alert and say, please contact your legislator. So those legislators, when you make a phone call, you email them or you call their secretary, they will come into the public hearing and say, I am so tired of hearing about these nurse practitioners. 300 of them called my office today. We need to pass this bill. Yeah. That really? was a signature authority bill. Yeah. So that's a different level of engagement. All it does is, okay, yes, you're a dues paying member, but yes, you just picked up the phone, took you two minutes to call and say, please support house bill, whatever. I'm a nurse practitioner. I'm one of your constituents. I think those those phone calls do work. Yes, uh, they, do, they work. do work. I wondered if they did. They do. Because I've yes. done it, but I, <laughs> so you never know. Yeah. That was actually, I'm quoting Senator Wagner who walked in and said, I have received 300 phone calls this morning. We need to pass this bill. <laughs> So they'll stop, <laughs> whatever it takes. So, you know, as a nurse practitioner, um, my main concern, I guess, is just taking care of my patients. But, you know, I don't know about what happens in the background uh, in terms of what, what's been taken or what's been uh, done to advance my practice, you know, my role. Can you speak to some of the accomplishments that you've had with NPAA with uh, nurse practitioners and their role? That's certainly. So, well, to I'm going to touch upon what you first said. Mm -hmm. So you're clinic based and all you're really focused on is your, you and your patients. The purpose of that professional association is to send you alerts out and say, this is what we just passed. This is what we've just done. So keep you abreast of what's going on on a local level or even a national level. So that way you don't have to dig around for what you're looking for. So that's one that addresses the first part of what you said. But in since 2017, I think we have made some big, big changes and we've done it um, in small bits and pieces. And it's really, believe it or not, I think it's pushed our profession forwards. And now we're way more recognizable down in Montgomery than what we used to be. So the signature authority bill was passed in 2018. The second piece of legislation we had was the FTE ratio, in which we wanted to go from a four to one to higher. Mm -hmm. This We started this in the 2020 session, and it wasn't a perfect bill, I will say that now. It would have actually capped our current statute. So our current statute is unlimited. It's the rules on the regulatory sides that limited collaboration to a four to one ratio. Meaning what? Meaning, so our current statute set does not say that only four nurse practitioners can be on a license. It's unlimited. Mm -hmm. It's the rules 
um, the matching rules on the Board of Nursing and Board of Medical Examiners that said you can only collaborate 160 hours a week. Okay, so that makes sense. So we had a we had a bill that would have increased the ratio, but would have unfortunately taken away that um, unlimited status because we're now introducing legislation to cap that. Mm -hmm. But our cap, we would have tried to guarantee um, that we maintained a higher ratio. So we got Senator McClendon to support it. We got it through the House Health, the full House, the Senate Health, and April Weaver had just picked it for the full House, which would have been voted on when COVID hit. Um, COVID shut it down. And I was back to square one thinking, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? In particular, um, there were several rural nurse practitioners that couldn't find collaborative practices of physicians that weren't already full. And some of the bigger hospitals like UAB were maxing out. Mm -hmm. At one point, we had three cardiac surgeons, but you have 60 APPs. So um, since both regulatory boards had agreed to the bill, um, I thought, let's go ask the regulatory boards if we can do this through rule change, because that's what it is in the first place, yeah. the rule change. I hope I'm making sense. You are. So, um, <clears throat> of course, the Board of Nursing is 100% behind it. Um, the Board of Medicine ended up being behind it, and we actually did it through rule change. So our current statute still is uncapped, mm-hmm. but now we have a rule change that has a nine-to-one ratio. Yeah. So that, even though it started out legislatively, we did it through regulatory. Then we've done the critical care advanced protocol, which mm-hmm. allows chest tubes and yeah. large bore central lines. And um, we recently passed the Botox for chronic migraines, mm-hmm. paracentesis, the ENT protocol with the help of the PAs. They um, really helped, actually they did the whole protocol. Um, recently, we have another central line protocol that actually decreased the number of fem sticks which works in our favor from like 25 to five. And that you mean to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So you instead, of, instead of having to do 25 to prove competency, yeah. you do five initially, I think two can be in the Sims. Then maintenance oh. is I think three and they can all be in the Sims. Okay, okay nice. Okay. Yeah. That's huge. We also worked with Medicaid to, um, Medicaid actually came to us after this, after the Signature Authority Bill it says, what can we do to, um, help nurse practitioners in their practice. Well, at that time in 2017, Medicaid did not reimburse MPs and PAs for inpatient billing codes. So we worked with them in 2019, they changed the billing code structure. Um, and so for the, we were the only state that at the time wasn't reimbursed. Now we're reimbursed. The other thing Medicaid asked me was what procedures um, do you need that to be reimbursed for that we're not reimbursing now? So anything in, that a nurse practitioner can do procedurally within the state, they will reimburse us. Those are very big accomplishments. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah. wonderful. That's a lot of work yeah. <laughs> since 2017. 2017. You've been busy. And it's yeah. a, and it's a definitely, um, it takes a village. So having done all that work um, in terms of getting um, some uh, legislation passed to advance our practice. Have you seen any improvement in the role of the nurse practitioner um, within the uh, UAB system that you are currently uh, working in? In terms of making sure that they're taking full, uh, you know, they're taking, they're participating in making sure that they 
um, take hold of those privileges that they're gaining. So I personally think that UAB has always been very supportive of their veins yeah. practice. It, Tracy, you worked. It, I, agree. I I think they've they're the ones who said let's have a centralized office. It wasn't the nurse practitioners that came up with this idea. It was the health system that says we need to figure out where these MPs are, what they can do, what their specialties are, mm-hmm. and man, they have fully supported every initiative. That's good. Uh, you can't ask for a better working environment um, in this state. Mm-hmm. So um, we are slow with the changes we've made on the state level. You're slowly seeing our scope come out more and more. Yeah. Like our ENTs, they're doing all the ENT procedures they need to do. Um, our UAB Medicine actually has a central line team that is APP driven, and they and the health system wanted APPs to do it, and uh, because those who do it the most do it the best, mm-hmm. and so we have a whole team of APPs devoted to central line insertions, which I think is a big deal. Oh, yeah. So I, I think they've been very supportive from the get-go. It, I think it was just a matter of harnessing it all mm-hmm. and finding out where everybody was at and what they can do and putting it all together and then just moving it forwards. And it's still a work in progress. Right. But, and, you know, I will say this, Terry Poe also uh, is such uh, an advocate for advanced practice mm-hmm. yeah, and has I been behind it. us in 100%. Yeah, she's great. Um, so what things are you working on now? Well, we um, actually this past year, even though we didn't have any legislation, we have been very active in in PAA and forming a committee to start looking at the needs of the nurse practitioners in the state. What do they need in order to practice at their highest level? What are your barriers? So we're taking their responses and the this committee is sort of translating that into what we need to do legislatively to move practice forwards so it is and you're fine we're finding out most nurse practitioners don't have a full understanding of many things as i did not either and so part of the goal of our that committee in which bj is part of is to educate nurse practitioners and try and answer questions in regards to their practice as well. So how can a nurse practitioner get more involved in NPAA or any other local organizations that would help advance their their role? In nurse practitioners or nursing? Both? Both. Either. Okay, so I think that every nurse in the state needs to figure out what they're most passionate about. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because it is a time investment and there is there is money invested. I mean, it's not that much, but you still if I'm giving you money. This is what I want. So you look at the organization and you look at what they do. And so if you're a nurse practitioner um, and you will you'll find that nurse practitioners are very fractured. Ne- neonatals usually belong to a national neonatal or state neonatal. Pediatrics does the same thing. Um most of in PAA, it used to be mostly perceived as primary care, but we've gotten a lot of acute care in, and they're seeing that ch- the changes that we make on a state level aren't just like, they don't just concern one type of nurse practitioner. Scope of practice 
it affects every nurse practitioner, whether you're pediatric, neonate, yeah. psych, family, or whatever. So, okay, I digressed again. So find out what you're passionate about. If you're passionate about advocacy and policy and politics and practice, research your organization and, and join that one. If you want to have a voice and a seat at the table and you want to make change, you need to join your state professional association. Um, if you're more interested in the educational aspect, MPA does educational aspects, but so do the regional groups. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the national group is national, right? They're making changes on a national level. So you, you should belong, theoretically, to several because you want to support your national group because they're the ones that are making like the ICANN. They're the ones that are making changes on the federal level. Yeah. But still, even though it's passed on the federal level, it doesn't mean it's passed it from state to state, right? So then you want to join your state professional association and push for change. But we don't know what specific groups of nurse practitioners need unless they join. Does that make sense? That yes. makes sense. Absolutely. Makes sense. So to get involved, pick out what you're passionate about, join it. I think MPA has become um, very um, interactive with their members, holding town halls, developing these committees. These committees are meeting once a month. Um, you know, uh, I will say that uh, with regards to your uh, state uh, organizations, MPA does a good job with that. Um, we're, we're much more visible. We're available on online media. Um, when I was starting uh, as a nurse practitioner, I wasn't hearing much about, you know, our state organization, but now I think it, we do a good job at making ourselves more visible. Yeah. Even the local one uh, with uh, the Central Alabama Nurse Practitioner mm -hmm. Alliance, so mm -hmm. that one is a good one as well for those nurse practitioners who want, want to start at a local level. Great. Well, I think we're about out of time. Um, if we could mm -hmm. have you, just if you could tell our listeners one thing that you want them to get from this whole talk, what would it be? Um, I think the most important thing that a nurse can do, and I think this is the biggest barrier to practice in our state, is we need engagement from our nursing workforce. Mm. That's what we need. We need you, whether you're a bedside nurse, nurse practitioner, CRNA, you need to be engaged at whatever association you want to make change for you. Awesome. That's a good point. Thank you so much, Eileen. That was great. Really appreciate seeing you and hearing you today. Yeah. Been well, fun. You know, I could listen to you all day, Eileen, but uh, <laughs> I think what you've told us today is is very important from that bedside nurse to that uh, care provider there. Just get involved. Um, and I'm glad that we have people like you who are advocating for our profession. Thank you for coming. Can I say one more thing? Sure. So you want to have a seat at a table and you don't unless your voice is heard. So if you want to make change, put yourself out there. Awesome. Thank you so much. And for all of our listeners, thanks for joining us. And we will talk to you next time on Clinical Pearls.